journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Adol Kazilski Mondays at 1 p.m. for the trip of a lifetime. Hello, Shalom, Shavua Tov. Welcome, everybody. Excited to be back um, on a Monday. The best part of my Monday and hope the best part of yours. We are following our father, our forefather, Jacob, through his journeys. And today, my intention is, is that we actually finish the parsha. We finish the chapter, chapter 31 of Genesis that uh, describes... Jacob leaving his uh, father-in-law Laban after many, many years of work and many, many years of upheaval with this um, very devious father-in-law always interfering in his life. And if you recall, uh, where we left off last week was that Laban finds out that Jacob has indeed fled Jacob didn't tell him that he was leaving with his wives, even though he did get his wives' blessings. And uh, he leaves and runs away. And um, all the blessing that was found in the area disappears, particularly particularly the well, the well that uh, uh, like brought forth a lot of water and that everybody enjoyed. After three days, the shepherds there realize that, in fact, something has happened because Yaakov is... Um, Yaakov's no longer there and that makes his father-in-law pretty incensed and off he runs to go and take chase of Yaakov and last week we ended off where he made chase he comes to Yaakov he says why have you stolen my gods and unbeknownst to Yaakov he did not know that Rachel his wife had taken them he said go check wherever you want to check make yourself at home Go and check and see what is going on. And Yaakov and Lavan does do a check of the entire camp and he cannot find anything. But Yaakov, I mean, Lavan knows that his daughter Rachel, her way was that she loved to touch everything. And he was highly, highly suspicious of Rachel. And so what he does is he comes back into the tent of Rachel, okay, and uh, he wants to do another search. And this is where we are going to look into uh, the chapter 31, verses 34 and 35. As always, if you do have a comment or a question, please be my guest. 34519 is the SMS line 061-895-1019, the telegram number. Ve Rachel lakha et We know that Rachel, Rachel, had taken the idols. So can you just imagine the tension there? That Laban comes, he says, what have you done? He knows that he can't do too much to Yaakov because he was forewarned the night before. Don't you dare even say anything good or bad because you're dealing with a tzaddik. Now, Rachel knows his father, her father. He's really, um, you know, a, a quite a, a violent guy, a guy that will go after what he wants. So what does she do? But to see Maim Bechar Hagamal. She places them inside a camel cushion, Vatashiv Alehim, and then she sits on that camel cushion. Vayimases Laban et Kolha Ohelvelomatsa. Laban inspects the whole tent. He obviously doesn't find anything. But Tomer Elaviha, um, and uh, Rachel says to her father, 
Al yichar be'enei Adoni, don't let it anger you, my Lord, ki lo uchalakum mipanecha, because I cannot get up in front of you, ki derech nashim li, for I have the way of woman upon me. Ve'yichapes ve'lo matzah et ratrafim, he searches further and he cannot find the idols, the trafim. So what was Rachel really, really, really saying? So the one thing um, that we are told is that God protected Rachel and miraculously the trafim changed into small jugs so that Lavan couldn't find what he was looking for. But Rachel's excuses is pretty difficult to understand. Um, if she was the way a woman were, was with her, which means what she was really saying in a very polite manner was, I am menstruating. Why, why does she say the way a woman is with me and I can't stand up? We know that, thank God, women can constantly walk around while they have their periods. There shouldn't be a, a problem with that. So our rabbis teach that when a woman is having her period, she is called a nida. That's a menstruating woman. And nida comes from the word nadad. Nadad means separated. And um, it, it has its roots in the fact that a menstruating woman, even today, is physically separated from her husband. And they are not allowed to have intimate relationships um, for at least five days of the woman's uh, period um, or until she finishes bleeding. If she bleeds more than five days plus seven clean days, and there we have the whole mitzvah, the whole um, idea of taharata mishpacha, the family purity, where a woman will go and immerse herself in a mikvah, and then she's allowed to her husband. But this really had nothing to do with Lavan, for she she was not intimate with Lavan. Um, but our rabbis go and teach us that in the, the ancient times, um, even Gentiles were weary of menstruating women. In fact, we're told that the, the Arameans, which was part of Lavan's tribe, they would um, avoid contact with women because they believed, and it was a obviously just a superstition, it's certainly not something that Judaism holds, and I stress that immensely, that menstruating women, the only um, constriction a woman has is to have intimate relationships with her husband. That doesn't mean that she can't speak to her husband and, and you know, run her life with her husband. And certainly doesn't apply to any other man and um, all of this. But they were very, very superstitious. And they believed that menstrual discharge was dangerous. So they held that even having a conversation with a menstruating woman should be avoided. They, they believed her breath was unclean that any food that a, menstru a menstruating woman would um, prepare would be harmful. And so this was the pretense that Rachel says to Lavan. She basically was saying, I have my menstrual period, and so you cannot touch the place that I am sitting. And with that, Lavan just shut Lavan down. He uh, didn't converse with her, um, and he avoided her, and he left the tent. That is uh, an explanation given by Arevas of how she managed to ward Lavan off. Others say that she wasn't really lying because she didn't say it in black and white that she had a menstrual period. She said, I cannot stand before you because I have the way of woman. And the way of woman 
was that she was giving kind of like a white lie and saying, I act like a normal woman, I handle objects that I like, and I, I, I talk to them. So um, sh that could have been like a way that, that, you know, showed that she really wasn't lying. Also, if she was saying, um, I have my period, or she could have also been meaning that I'm sitting on something as unclean as a menstrual discharge. I'm sitting on your trophy. Now go away. And in fact, that's what he does. Um, the whole situation is calmed down by her telling her father, please stay away. Um, you know, uh, you can't come near me. And um, as we spoke earlier, um, I think last week, even though Lavan eventually now comes to make peace with with Yaakov and his family, we know that um, Yaakov unfortunately went and cursed the person who had taken the idols. And so that kind of like put the final nail in the coffin of Rachel. And she will now, unfortunately, sadly, die in childbirth. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Right, we are back at Genesis 31, verse 36. And now I'm just going to actually swap into um, into English because there is a lot. And this is the whole discussion that Jacob now has with Laban. Laban comes out after searching all the tents. He comes out empty-handed. Vayicha le Yaakov. Yaakov was very angry and he argues with Lavan. And Yaakov says to him, and this is now you can see all the upset that, that Yaakov had, had been harboring. He said to him, Ma pishi, what is my crime? Ma chatati, what is my sin? Kidalakta acharai, that you decided to run after me. When you inspected all my things, what did you find of all your household goods? Here, put them before our, my kinsmen and yours and let them determine which of us two is right. So Yaakov calls the bluff and he says, what are you chasing me for? And what are you making my life painful for? Like when a son-in-law returns home, he doesn't usually take what he needs for his house. I didn't even take a pin. Come, put it out in front. And quite frankly, Lavan had nothing to show for it. And he continued in verse 38, I was with you for 20 years. With you, with your ewes, with your she-goats, they never miscarried. I did not eat any rams from your flocks. He carries on in verse 39, I never brought you a mangled animal. I took the blame for it. You exacted it from my hand, whether it was stolen for me, by day or by night, meaning that if a lion or a wolf mangled a sheep, okay, Lavon held him responsible. Yaakov didn't bring that sheep to him. He had to pay it out of his own pocket, all right? And truthfully, he shouldn't have because as a shepherd, as a paid watchman, one is not legally liable when an animal is, is mangled. Um, and basically, Yaakov was saying, I went beyond the letter of the law, when an animal was mangled, an animal was stolen, an animal was lost, all of those things had nothing to do with my job. Nevertheless, nevertheless, I paid for it out of my own sheep. 
And the Midrash goes on to say that Yaakov even mentioned to Lavan that divine providence had it, that five sheep were to be killed by lions at night. Um, but they were saved because of his merit. So Yaakov was basically telling him, what are you looking for? Like, I never took a cent from you. My hands are completely clean. And anything that anyway was due to you was um, that I, I, I paid out of my own pocket. What are you holding for? And then he goes even further. This is verse 40. Hayiti bayom achalani chorev v'kerach balayla v'tidad shenati me'enai. By day I was consumed by the scorching heat and at night by the frost and sleep was snatched away from me. This again, we've spoken about it and it just, it's a reiteration here that Yaakov's business dealings, well, Yaakov overall and specifically his business dealings were squeaky, squeaky clean. He didn't stop. You know, lots of people sometimes they go, well, it's too hot to go to work or it's too cold or I'll take half an hour off. I'll phone my mother-in-law. I'll make do my shopping. When you are paid a wage, your time belongs to your employer. And from the minute you start working to the minute you stop stop working, all that time belongs to the employer unless otherwise stated. E.g., they go and say, you can take an hour's lunch. Well, then you can take an hour's lunch. That does not mean that, you know, at 10 o'clock you can stop and have a whole WhatsApp conversation with your friend for half an hour. That is considered theft according to Jewish law. So um, Yaakov was saying, you know, I got scorched in the heat. I froze in the cold. There was lots of times I never, ever slept at night wondering from you. Sleep was snatched from my eyes. Um, I didn't even have time to study as much Torah as I wanted to because I was completely, completely dedicated to you. And these 20 years in your house, I worked 14 years for your two daughters, and I worked six years looking after your sheep. Remember the deal that they made before? Um, and you know what you did? Even though I worked 20 years for you, I worked, um, you changed my wages 10 times. 10 times you changed my wages. And he finishes and he says, If my, the God of my father, the God of Abraham, upachad Yitzhak, and a God who he calls Pachad Yitzchak, the dread of Yitzchak. Hayali was with me, ki atar rekam, because, and now, now you, you, you know, if, if they weren't with me, if the, if the God of Abraham and Yitzchak was not with me, I would have left empty handed. Okay? Um, ki atar rekam shalachtani, et onyu ve'et yegir kapai, ra'a elokim ve'yochach amesh, but God saw my plot, and the work of my hands, and he reprimanded you already last night. Well, there's some interesting stuff over here. Firstly, why does he refer to God as Pachad Yitzchak, the dread of Yitzchak? Um, we know that Yitzchak represented Gvura, represented uh, strictness and fear, 
And basically, what he was saying is that um, Yitzchak feared God so much that he thought of God as as a fearful one as well. So he took the chesed of Abraham, he took the gevura of 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 Yitzchak, he took the kindness of Abraham, and the the intenseness and the fear of Yaakov of of Yitzchak. And he swears on both of them. And he says, if it wasn't for the, for that God, who both my father and grandfather had different relationships with, if they didn't look after me, then you would have basically schneid me. You would have taken me for a ride. Now it's interesting that he says, the techalef et maskorti eseret monim. You changed my wages ten times. And what's very interesting here, is that the Midrash brings the fact that why is he using why is he using the number ten? Well, why is he saying that he changed his wages ten times? And the answer is is that Laban was a skilled sorcerer. He was a magician, and he used ten methods of sorcery in order to try get back what was happening in this whole dynamic. Yaakov was becoming unbelievably rich. And he wasn't getting too far away. So where they use the word umaskati aseret monim, monim can mean measurements, but you can take monim and just change the vowels and read it as minim, which means you changed my wages through ten kinds of magic. So let's just talk a little bit about magic. I'm not a magician. I don't know anything about the occult, but I will tell you the 10 different types of magic that the Midrash um, talks about. They said the first one is called koisem. That's using stick divination. Then there's one called kasamin, which is chip divination. Mo'inen, smoke divination. Menachish, snake divination. Now we know there's a lot of snake divination later when we see that Moshe goes um, into Egypt. We see it then. Then we've also got Mechashef, which is called sorcery. Chover, incantation. Chover, which is just called conjunction. Don't know what that means, but there's that type of sorcery. Oiv, which is pythonism. Yid'oini, which is Gnosis, and Doirish Esamesim Necromancy. Yeah, I think I pronounced that one right. Doirish al Hameitim. This is when you start asking of the dead. So all ten types of sorcery, Lavan was, was an absolute pro at. And so when he says, the Techalef et Maskorti Aseret Minim, you changed my wages ten times, his complaint was, you changed, you try to change my wages with ten kinds of magic. I guess it's important um, of all these um, occult things to mention as a rule. We do not deal in the occult. It is forbidden according to Torah law. And in specific, I'd like to talk about the last uh, one, Doresh Etamatim, that you inquire of the dead. Many, many people, unfortunately, become very, very distraught when a loved one passes away. And so they will search and seek spiritual healers or people who are able to talk to the dead 
or be in contact with the dead. In Judaism, we believe that this actually disturbs the dead. It's very, very painful for the dead. It's very spiritually unhealthy for the living. And it's something that we do not do. That does not mean that we do not recognize that um, our loved ones have moved on to the next world. Indeed, we do. And there's many, many things that we do in this world in order to facilitate the ease through which our loved ones will transition into the world to come. And primarily that is by doing mitzvot in their names, by doing acts of kindness and goodness in their names, by, for example, giving charity and having intention that this charity is for the aliyah, for the elevation of the soul. If one is learning Torah, one can um, can 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 um, have intention before learning Torah that we're learning this in the name of the elevation of the soul. There are many many mitzvot that we can do, and we can dedicate those mitzvahs not to our um, accounts, but rather on account of the the person that has deceased and. M- most times, 99.9% of the time, it's the most incredible thing. In fact, I don't know why I'm even saying 99.9% of the time. Um, it assists the deceased um, in the place that they find themselves now. And there are many, many stories um, about that. On, on the other flip side, when one goes to spiritual healers and tries to um, start contacting the dead and starts trying to ask things, um, one is disturbing them and it is not considered healthy, nor is it allowed according to Torah laws. So here you see Yaakov giving basically, as we say in South Africanism, a, ma- a mapola. <laughs> he gives them a mouthful, like how dare you? I, I, I got burnt during the day. I didn't sleep at night. Every single thing that happened to you to your flocks, even though I was not responsibility, I, t- I took responsibility. You changed your mind so many times. What did you find? Zero, zek, nada, nothing. Vayan Lavan, we're now looking in verse 43. Lavan replies and says to Yaakov, the do- your daughters, the daughters are my daughters. So he does retract, Lavan, and you'll see. He goes, Habanot benotai, your, the daughters are my daughters, v'habanim banai, and your sons are my sons, v'hatsonsoni, and your flocks um, are my flocks. V'cholasher atarroeli, hu levnosai, and everything that you see is for my daughters. Ma'esela elehayo. What do you think I'm going to do to them today? Okay, what can I do to my daughters um, or to the children that they have been born? So he decides that the best way, he realizes when he's up against this formidable power of, of Yaakov, let us crack a deal, let us make an oath, let us make a pact. You and me, and let it be a witness before me and before you. And Yaakov realizes this, of course, the best way to do it is to come to a reconciliation, to realize I am I and you are you. Now let's just leave it that way and let's make a promise to each other. Vayikach Yaakov Aven, this is verse 45 of chapter 31. Yaakov takes a stone, Vayirmieha Mateva, 
and he raises a monument. And we're told in the Midrash that this was a very, very big, it was one of the huge stones forming the peak of Tiberia. By Yomer Yaakov Le'echav, he says to his brothers, and this is really to his sons, Lik to Avanim, go gather stones. By Yiku Avanim, they went and found stones. By Yas Gal, they made a huge mound of it. By Yochlu Sham Alagal, and they sat down on the mount and they ate. Um, so he calls to what, what, what the Torah calls his brothers, but it's really his sons, because who else was with him? Um, they were as tall and as saintly, um, as Jacob was. They went and they gathered stones and in a spirit of friendship and of brotherhood, they sat down to eat. Vayikra lo Lavan, Lavan calls this mound, this place, a name in Aramaic. He calls it Yigar Shahadusa, Yigar Shahaduha, which in Aramaic means witness mound. Yaakov Karalo Galaid and Yaakov calls it Galaid. So they both call it, one calls it in Aramaic and Yaakov calls it in Hebrew. Galaid, Gal means a mound and Aid means a witness. So witness mound, both of them said it, one in Aramaic, Yigar Shahaduta and um, Yaakov calling it Galaid. By Yomer Lavan, Lavan says, Hagala ze eid b'niu b'necha, hayoyim. Alken karashmo galeid. He went and said, um, this mound will be a witness between me and you today, and he therefore named it galeid. V'han mitzvah asher amar yatsef Hashem b'niu b'necha, ki nesater ish mereehu, and there was a watchtower, Regarding which he said, God will keep watch between me and you when we are out of each other's sight. So basically what happened was the watchtower was on top of the mound that they had erected. It was the highest place on the mountain. And this is where um, effectively a person could climb up and could see the horizon on both sides and watch over both of them that they would not come to any further disputes. In fact, we're told that um, the watchtower is called Mitzpah. And I think in Israel there is a place called Mitzpah um, to this day. And Mitzpah means that watchtower. Im ta'aneh it's benotai. Ve'im tikach nashim al benotai. And ish imanu re'eh elokim ad and uh, Lava now in a in a discussion of self-righteousness says you will not degrade my daughters nor marry other wives in addition to my daughters there will be no man with us but God will see he will be the witness before me and you what he really really was saying is that I'm making a special condition and what is that condition so that you will not consider Bila and Zilpah slaves, okay? As long as Bila and Zilpah are alive, you, Yaakov, are not allowed to take another wife. And even after Rachel and Leah die, you will not be allowed to take other women in their place, for it is not proper for you to marry anyone else to take the place of my daughters. And while nobody can watch and uh, police this thing, and although no man will be able to see what you do, 
God himself will be a witness. That was the deal. You're listening to 101.9 High FM. High FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back. And this is Adel Kozilski. Um, is card reading a form of divination? I believe that it is. Um, you know, all of these funny things. You've also got um, the reading of coffee cups and all sorts of things. It is all for part of divination. One of the, the, the ideas behind all of this as well is that one needs to realize as, as, as Jewish people that we do not have a muzzle, meaning we do not have that which is written down, um, so to speak, in, in the stars, in the horoscope, and, and that which it is. We do live a physical reality. But through Torah and mitzvahs, we were able to change that. And so we do not give any power to it. We do not get anything. Um, we don't get stuck in anything like that. Um, did Lavan believe in God? Um, I think he had some form of belief in God, but he was very, very much stuck in divination. So he realized that the God of Abraham and the Pachad Yitzhak and the dread of Yitzhak, this, this God, and you're going to see now um, that he repeats it again, he's basically saying God is going to look over us. But in a sense, it was an, uh, he acquiesced to that. Because he knew he was increasingly, incredibly powerful when it came to divination and he thought he was, he, he could manage, um, Yaakov that way. And the proof of the pudding was that despite him trying all his, all his secrets, he never managed to, uh, manipulate Yaakov and get back what it is that he was needed. Kind of was déjà vu because the same thing happens when it comes, when Moses comes to Pharaoh, okay, and we know that Egypt was a huge place of sorcery as well, um, and when Moses comes and says, God says, let the people go, and they say, who's your God? I don't know your God, says Pharaoh, because he believed he himself was a God, and Moses initially threw the snake and did a whole lot of things. They laughed at him. They said, we too are sorcerers, and we can do the same tricks. Ha ha, get out. And it only it, it took 10 plagues. It took 10 huge, huge um, devastations in Egypt for Pharaoh to finally understand that this God of Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, this God that Moses was speaking about, was far greater, far more powerful than any sorcerer could could, uh, could, could, could do, could perform, could do anything like that. And obviously by the 10th plague, he too acquiesces and he says, get out. Okay. Um, I don't know who this God is, but he certainly is more powerful. And dare, dare I walk into the realm of 2021 and say that I think today the same thing is happening in a far more sophisticated way. But, um, you know, we believed that we were godlike and, uh, not that we were sorcerers, but our beliefs in our power to control everything um, is something that's fundamental to modern-day society. Uh, you know, we've got a solution for anything and everything and no place for God. And suddenly I was actually speaking to a friend of mine yesterday that suddenly comes an invisible nano-sized particle called COVID. Okay, it's driving the world crazy. It's driving everybody crazy. Nobody knows what's right. Nobody knows what's wrong. And certainly 18 months into the pandemic, we haven't solved it. In fact, sadly, 
um, I think that we're going to see it ravaging, ravaging certainly uh, the world now in, in, in a much more, in a much greater way. We've just finished our Delta pandemic. I believe that we're going to be seeing it up, you know, coming up um, pretty badly in, in America and in Europe. And despite all the intelligence that we have, despite all the scientists and, and, and the medical knowledge, we're not on top of it. 18 months later, we're still in lockdowns, we're still wearing masks. And this is really, I believe, a fundamental lesson today as that which Pharaoh had to learn in his time in Egypt and which Lavan eventually came to realize in his encounter with Yaakov, and that is we are not in control. And it doesn't matter how much our divination, and in this type, we, we, we worship science, we worship medicine, we worship our knowledge that we are the be-all and the end-alls and we know all, which in fact is entirely incorrect. Um, we are really banging down um, the doors and not getting very, very far. So what does Laban say to Yaakov? Hine hagalaze, here is this mound and here is this monument I've set up between me and you. This mound shall be a witness and the monument shall be a witness. I am not to cross over to you past this mound and you are not to cross over to me beyond this mound and this monument um, with any bad intentions. And then he goes and says, and here is your answer, um, Joseph, a listener, did love and believe in God? He says, let the God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, may the God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, the Elohei Avihem, the God of the fathers, let them be the ones that will be the witness between the two of you. Yaakov swears by the dread of his father Yitzchak. He doesn't want to hear that Abraham has a God that was found from Nahor. Because Nahor did not believe in God. Okay, that was Abraham's father. He's not going to swear by that. He's going to swear on Pachad Yitzchak. On the dread of Yitzchak, meaning he's going to swear on the on the fundamental that you need to fear the one and only God. The midrash gives a gives a uh, a little marshal, a little parable, saying that once there was a teenage girl, she fell into a pit on her way home, and a young man came upon her and called down, "If you promise me you will marry me, I will get you out of this pit." And she agrees to his condition, and he gets her out. The two of them make a promise um, that he would not marry another girl and that she would not marry another man. Um, and they say to each other, even though there's no witnesses to this whole thing, let this pit and let this weasel over there be our witnesses, and they both go on their separate ways. The story continues that the girl keeps her oath, the young man, however, soon forgets the incidents. He, incident, he moves to another town. He finds another girl. He gets married. And before, before long, he's blessed with a beautiful baby boy. But sadly, while the child was still an infant, it was bitten by a weasel and it dies. He's completely, completely uh, devastated. He has a second son. His second son survives a little longer. But as a child... The child falls into a pit and it dies. So his wife, this man's wife, um, 
complains and says, what have we done wrong? We've got two children. Both of them have died in such a strange and tragic way. We must have committed a sin. And suddenly it comes into the mind of the young man that he remembered the oath he had once made, and he relates the entire incident to his wife. And upon hearing the story, she says, you must then go back and keep your oath. I can no longer live with you. And the two get divorced, and the young man returns home, and he marries the girl that he had saved from the pit. Um, basically, that is a marshal, a, a, a uh, parable for what's happening over here with Yaakov and with Lavan. He sacrifices a sacrifice on the hill. He invites all the brethren to eat bread. They break bread and they... They, uh, they, they, re- they relax, they sleep, they spend the night on the hill. We're almost done, just hang in there. We've got exactly three verses to the end of the Parsha. Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Let us finish up this incredible uh, chapter. We're going to look at verse, at, at chapter 32, verses 1 to 3. Vayashkem lavan vaboke. Yashkem gets up in the morning. Vayinashek levana velivnotav. He kisses his sons and his daughters. Vayivarech, um, et him and he blesses them. Vayelech, vayeshev, lavan lemakumo. Lavan leaves and returns home. The rabbis go and say that Vayeshev Lavan he returns to his place, that means he goes to his original status, he goes back to who he always was. And on top of that sadness of all sadness, where <laughs> while he was away, armed robbers broke into his house, and while he was gone, robbed him of his belongings, and when he returns home, he was as poor um, as he was before Jacob came to him twenty years earlier. There is divine providence in this world. What comes around goes around, comes back again, and there is justice in this world. And for Yaakov, the Yaakov halach ladarko, Yaakov goes on his way, but yifgeul bo malchei elokim, angels of God encounter him. Now you remember that angels um, went with him when he went out. Now angels are appointed and are coming to, to look after him as he is going to come and enter the land. Why are they meeting him now? Well, we're going to get into a very next exciting um, part of this because now he has to meet his brother Esav. But nevertheless, he gets angels by Yomer Yaakov, Kasher Ra'a, when he sees Machane Elokim. He says, this is God's camp. When he sees all these angels coming, he says, this is God's camp. By Yikra, Shem, Hamakom, Hahu, Machanaim. He calls this place Machanaim, the twin camps. Um, what he was saying was, and he was reassuring all the people that there are camps of holy angels and God is sending them on high to protect us from the likes of our enemies. Um, what we need to know, um, and by the way, the Midrash, just by the way, before what we need to know, the Midrash says that there were 600,000 angels that came to accompany Yaakov back to the land of Israel in great joy. But what we need to know, and this is what I want to leave you with, is that every time a person does a good deed, an angel is created. 
And what we see here is that Yaakov had done many good deeds. He had filled many of God's commandments. And so now he had his own large retinue of angels protecting him from all harm. Um, and why he called the place Machanaim was not only did he have a camp of angels created by his own good deeds, but God also sent extra from God on high. So he was truly and utterly protected. Thank you for being with me. Hope you enjoyed it. Please, God, we'll be back next week and we will beginning. We'll, we'll start to begin learning the Parsha of Aishlach. In the meantime, Shavua Tov. Have a wonderful, fabulous week ahead.